0: Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. My name is Rick Thompson. I'm the pastor here at Living Water. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. For those who are joining us online, I want to remind you to please like, subscribe to our channel, and share our message so that the gospel can go out to as many people as possible. I looked at that video and I thought, oh my goodness, that's how churches are looking today. And anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Come on, somebody. It's like the rapture happened, you know? They're starting to slowly creep back in, but turn to somebody say, don't get left behind. Whatever you do, don't get left behind. And so we're in the beginning of a series that we've entitled, Say What? You've got to say it that way. I said, I said it. You've got to say it that way <laughs> because it's based on the premise that knowing what God has to say is critical. Can I get an amen on that? Especially as we navigate through this life and in these uncertain times. Then also knowing what he isn't saying is equally as important as there are people who will misquote the Bible all day long or are convinced that there's something in it that really isn't in there. So it's important to know the difference because your salvation could be on the line. Your eternal destiny could be on the line. It's important to know what the Bible is saying and what the Bible isn't saying. We've given a few examples over the last week and the week before that we're gonna hear a little bit more about it. Last week we talked about the fact that the misquote is money is the root of all evil. And we know that not to be true now, right? What's the root of all evil? The Bible says it's the love of money. Somebody was paying attention. It's the love of money. It's the making money an idol. And anything you put above God becomes an idol. If, if there's anything more important or, or you treasure more in your heart, that's a potential idol in your life, and God will speak to that. It doesn't have to be money, it could be anything. It could be things, it could be substances, it could be whatever. Another misquoted tribute to the Bible is, God helps those who help themselves. I just heard this one yesterday. God helps those who help themselves. How I many of you know it's quite the opposite? God helps those who can't help themselves. <laughs> Walking around with all that pride, i just help myself. No, no, no. Uh, he opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. That's what my Bible says. Amen? Amen. And he saves those who can't save themselves. <laughs> and so, but we'll hear about that one. Another one is unto thine own self be true. Believe it or not, that is, that concept is in the Bible. You're just going to be surprised to find out who is saying it. <laughs> People writing it on their arms, and they're tattooing it all over their body. And you'll be surprised with the origin of that thought, where that comes from. It's not God. I'm just saying. And so we'll be touching on several topics like these over the next few weeks as we're asking. And we're asking you to make a commitment to kind of be here, and, to, and if you're online, to tune in. This morning's message is equally as, as a, what I call a say what message. Because the title implies that you've committed the unforgivable sin. And so you kind of fill in the blank. What is it? People always say, well, th- this is the unforgivable sin. Well, that person has committed the unforgivable sin. I was at a funeral, and, and a person um, OD'd. And the guy got up there, an open mic, and he said, you know, this person, serving the Lord his whole life, he had a relapse, and now he's in hell. He's committed an unforgivable sin. And so and that was their teaching, And I had to go up there and, you know, clean things up, you know. And so let's look at what the Bible has to say about what the unforgivable sin is. Some people think it's murder. Some people think it's suicide. Some people think it's, you know, adultery. We will talk about that. Many have heard the term blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, right? We've heard that term before, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But you don't know what it is. So we'll cover that today. Some, on the other hand, are quite convinced of what it is. They know what it is in their heart. Some people look to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, and they say, yeah, this speaks to some things. This is what it says. It says, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even, help me out somebody, angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Uh Uh-oh. Anybody been angry with anybody? Don't raise your hand. That's all of us. If you call someone an idiot, somebody calls someone an idiot on the way in when they. <laughs> You're laughing because you know it's true. It says you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of what? The fires of hell. That's what the scripture is saying. That's Jesus speaking. So, the list seems to have gotten a little bit broader in terms of what could potentially do us in. It's obviously, murder, and, but it says not just murder, it's the spirit behind murder, anger, because you've got to be awfully angry with somebody to kill somebody, calling names, cursing someone. So it looks like there's a few things that can cause us problems. But the question is are they unforgivable? Are they unforgivable? One lady told me that she was quite convinced the unforgivable sin is adultery. I had them in my office. They came in for counseling. They weren't married. They were engaged. And he had he had, uh, had an affair with a, a previous girlfriend. When she found out, she was convinced that he had committed the unforgivable sin. Now, I didn't have the heart to tell them they're living together. <laughs> and they shouldn't be, you know, in terms of, what sins are, uh, and the Bible says it's the marriage bed that's undefiled. Amen? Amen? Come on, somebody. Are you in the house? But I said, but adultery, I know, is not the unforgivable sins. Well, how do you know that? I said, because the Bible has a story in it where there was a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Anybody remember that story? Dragged before Jesus and told that she had committed adultery, recorded in the very act, Moses' law says that someone should be condemned who does this. What do you say? And Jesus, not losing his cool at all, bent down while the crowd picked up stones ready to kill this woman. And he, and he stood back up and he looked and he says, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. And then he went back down and he started riding in the sand. And the Bible says from, what, from the oldest to the youngest, they, got, they came under conviction because they knew they had sinned. And they dropped their stones and walked away. And there was only the woman and Jesus left. And when Jesus looked up, it was just the two of them. He said, woman, where are your accusers? Did anyone condemn you? And she said, no, my Lord. And you remember what Jesus said? He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In other words, he wasn't giving her a pass. He called it sin. But he wasn't going to condemn her for the sin. And how many of you know that there was at least one person there who was without sin, that could have thrown the stone. Who was it? Jesus could have thrown the stone. The Bible says he was sinless, but he didn't throw the stone. So I'm telling the the young lady, I said, I know what he did was bad, but adultery is not the unforgivable sin. Jesus demonstrated that. Some people think it's the practicing of homosexuality. The bottom line is The question is, are there behaviors, situations, circumstances that are beyond God's forgiveness? That's the big question. And while we jump into that answer, let's learn some fundamental truths that we all need to know while we're still on this earth. The first thing you need to know, and this is important for some of us, especially regarding this question, is Satan is the great accuser. Write that down. Satan is the great accuser. That's kind of his role. From the beginning of the story of Adam and Eve in, in the garden, what do we see him doing? He's asking the question, did God say you will die? You won't die. Remember when they took it? So, so the first person he starts to accuse is who? He accuses God. He's accusing God of lying to his children, and he doesn't stop there. Because he likes to see us trapped in shame and feelings of helplessness and hopelessness and guilt, feeling hopeless about our sins and behavior, he tries to block us from the truth of God's grace. And how does he do that? By constantly accusing us of being unsavable or worse. Listen, of you've gone too far. You know what I'm talking about. That sin, that thing that you keep doing, you've gone too far. God can't forgive you with that. You've said it, you've done it once too many times. And so the the accuser of the brethren or the accuser accuses you of going too far. Now this is what the Bible says about him in Revelation 12:10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. And so the question this morning is, who is the accuser of the brothers and sisters? Help me out, somebody. It's Satan. It's not a trick question. We're talking about him. Where was he hurled down to? To the earth. He was hurled down to the earth. And how often is he accusing the brothers and sisters? Day and night. Every day. That's his role. In fact, Peter says concerning him that he's on this earth. And he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking for a marriage to mess up. He's looking for someone's self-esteem to be torn down. He's looking for something to ruin or to destroy. Jesus said about him that he's the thief, and the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But he said, good news, Jesus is here. He says, I've come that you might have life, and that life to the fullest. So listen to me, and listen real close to me this morning. When we assume the same role either toward others or ourselves as the accuser of the brothers and sisters, we do his work for him. Did you hear me? We do his work for him, and we're following in his footsteps of shame-based living and accusations. When we start pointing the fingers at other people, saying, you've done this, or you've said that, or God will never forgive this, or I will never forgive you. Then we push people into a a hopeless place, or, or, or you find yourself in a hopeless place, which, by the way, is only true of Satan and his fallen angels in terms of being able to have redemption. There's no redemption for them. They're hopelessly condemned. And being hopelessly condemned, they want to convince as many of God's creation as possible that they're in the same boat as they're in. How many know this is a straight lie from the pit of hell? It's a lie straight out of the pit of hell. So, foundational truth number one is Satan is the accuser of people. So he doesn't, we don't need to be doing his job for him. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. Foundational truth number two: the Bible calls the unforgivable sin blasphemy. Of the Holy Spirit if you want to know the technical term of the unforgivable sin that's what it is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and Jesus mentioned it in Matthew chapter 12 it says then they brought him a demon possessed man who was blind and mute and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see all the people were astonished and said could this be the son of David But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. That should be a word for all of us. A house divided cannot stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And here's the key verse, Matthew twelve thirty-one and 32. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Spirit, what does it say? Will not, will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. That the message offers a little bit more light on it. It says, There's nothing done or said that can't be forgiven. But if you deliberately persist, someone say persist. If you deliberately persist in your slanders against God's Spirit. So who's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God's Spirit. If you deliberately persist against with in your slanders against God's Spirit, you are repudiating the very one who forgives. If you reject the Son of Man, someone say reject. If you reject the Son of Man out of some misunderstanding, the Holy Spirit can forgive you, but when you reject the God's Spirit or the Holy Spirit, you're soaring off the branch on which you're sitting, severing your own severing by your own perversity all connection with the one who forgives. In other words, you're kind of cutting your own throat, spiritually speaking. So Jesus called it blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Still, do we know what it is? Well let me give you a definition. Let me break it down for you. Look at this definition. There's that word again. It's the persistent rejection of the witness of the Holy Spirit calling you and pointing you to the one and only one who can forgive you and wash away your sins. There it is. And you do this to the day you breathe your last on this earth. You're done. That's what the signs and the gifts were all about the healing of the sick, the casting out of devils. Jesus did all this under the power of God's Holy Spirit. And and God's Spirit was to point us. He did these as signs to point people to the Christ or to the Messiah, to let them know that this isn't uh, just another ordinary man that's come on the scene. This is the Messiah. This is Yeshua. This is the one who's come to save you and save me and to give us eternal life. So if we reject the witness of God's Spirit, you reject his grace. And then where do you go from there? And so what does the Holy Spirit do? I'll write this down. Foundational truth number three, the Holy Spirit will bear witness to Christ. He will bear witness to Christ. And concerning Jesus, this is what the Bible says in John three seventeen and 18. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, help me someone, stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. The message says it this way. God didn't go through all this trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone know what acquitted means, right? Not guilty. <laughs> Anyone who trusts in him, you are not guilty of your sins. Anyone who refuses to trust in him has long, uh, has long since been under the death sentence without even knowing it. Did you know it's possible to be under a death sentence and not know it? If you refuse to trust in Jesus. That's what he's saying. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God when introduced to him. And who's the one that's doing the introducing or bearing witness to to the Christ? It's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. If you reject the Holy Spirit, you reject the witness, and you reject your only way to be saved through Jesus Christ. That's what it is in a nutshell. Foundational truth number three. The Holy Spirit bears witness to Christ. Let me give you, which leads us to number four. And, th- and this is a powerful one. The one thing a forgiving God finds unforgivable, are you ready? <laughs> is to reject the grace offered by the Holy Spirit through his Son. The one thing that a forgiving God finds unforgivable is if you reject the grace offered by, by him, through his son. So the unforgivable sin is not murder or suicide or homicide or homosexuality or adultery or fornication or drunkenness or any type of debauchery, whatever thing you put in there. Those are all sin. They're not good, but they're forgivable. The unforgivable sin is to sustain pride, and unbelief in Christ to the day you die against the revelation of the Holy Spirit in your life. And it's not that God won't forgive you or wouldn't forgive you. It's at that point, how many know he can't forgive you? Why? Because you made an eternal decision to the day you died and you sealed your fate. You died without the grace, without the forgiveness on you. You've rejected it your entire life. And then you stepped into eternity without the covering of the blood of Jesus. We'll talk about that. Listen to what the scripture says in John three nineteen. It says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. So that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. God is calling us all to come into the light. Does that make sense? Now, does that mean that there isn't any judgment on sin? Absolutely not. I just spoke to that. If you reject God's grace, you reject the good news of the gospel, which means that your sins are paid for through Jesus, you will pay for your own sins. To me, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> I'll either pay for my sins or Jesus pays for my sins. I chose Jesus paying for my sins. Does that make sense? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship of idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice or practice homosexuality, or, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But here is the key it says, Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Some would say, Jesus. Jesus. Some would say, Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It says you were, you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of our Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. It's only by his Spirit can, you, can then the revelation be so that you can be saved. He's the one that shows us that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. So when we call on him in repentance, listen to me, he washes us and makes us brand new creations in Christ. Which brings us to foundational truth number five. Through the blood of Christ, God turns his enemies into friends and family. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen Amen on that. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And he loves to to make uh, uh, enemies into friends and family. It's not who we were. We were all something. We were all some kind of sinners, fill in the blanks. We were all doing some kind of foolishness, fornicators and drunks and adulterers. We were all practicing some kind of something out there. It's not who you were. It's who you are in Christ. And the moment you accepted Jesus, those sins became washed away, never to be remembered again. Thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. And when God sees you, he doesn't see sinner. He sees saint through the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees his son because your filthy rags have been washed clean and there's been a great exchange that took place. Now you have the robe of sonship on. Because you're good? No, because God is good. Look at what God told the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 33. He says, say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they do what? That they turn from their ways and do what? And live. Then he says it again, turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? In other words, stop rationalizing behavior stop justifying behavior stop 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 making excuses for the sin that is in your life don't call it a lifestyle choice come on somebody this is how this is just just, just how god made me god made you that way and then condemned the behavior in the bible does that make sense That would be a schizophrenic God. And God is not schizophrenic. This world is schizophrenic. (laughs) But God is not. And, And I said it before, I said it again. If you have to make a choice between listening to what the world says and what the Word says, choose the Word. Because the Bible says you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's the truth of God's word that sets us free. The world will just get us entangled. The Bible even uses that word, entanglements and sin and things that keep weighing us down. The very things that Jesus died to set us free from, the world will have us continually being entangled with it by justifying and rationalizing and all sorts of nonsense. That's not a license to sin. Come on, somebody. Just because the blood washes us completely clean, that's not a license to sin. Your heart should be that Jesus died to set me free from these things, so I'm not going to continue to live in these things. Come on, somebody. If you were a womanizer, it should be you were a womanizer. Mm -mm. Come on. If you were a thief, it should be you were a thief. Okay? but you were washed and you were cleansed. (laughs) If you were an adulterer, it, 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 it should be a thing of your past, part of your testimony. But God has set you free and he sets you on a new path. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. I'm talking to somebody out there. We already heard about the Apostle Paul's qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. I love Paul, that Paul uses himself as an example. We call him the Apostle Paul The fact that we are even saved today, we are are credited to the the Apostle Paul preaching to the Gentiles. You're part of his legacy, so am I. But he wasn't always a saint, (laughs) all right? and And he described himself as the worst of sinners. And the Apostle Paul was forever grateful that God did not give him what he deserved because he repented. God gave him what he needed, and that was grace. Someone say grace. Grace. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus will do the same thing for every single one of us. And he said as much. I love this in Matthew chapter 9. He says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher, Jesus, when he was hanging out on this earth, eat with tax collectors and sinners? The worst of the worst. If you want to know where Jesus was hanging out, he was was hanging out on Sunset Strip. He he, he was hanging out in Las Vegas. Come on, somebody. That's where he would be today. He was hanging out with the worst of the worst. And they were asking him, why does does he, he says, why does he sit down and eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus answered them. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Come on, somebody. And the doctors in the house, I, I love that. He didn't show up just to blow up, or to, you know, he he showed up to make a difference in people's lives. It's not those who are healthy. Why should I go to to Why should I go to the gym? I'm going to the hospital. That's where the sick people are. Come on, somebody. I'm going to those who are down and out and downtrodden and demon-possessed. I'm going to those who are bound up and need a Savior in their lives. The doctor is in the house. He said, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. Sinners. And folks, in case you didn't know who the sinners were, Romans <laughs> 323, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. See, some of you were sitting here and listening to my voice saying, he's talking to someone else, he ain't talking to me. He's <laughs> like, oh, I ain't that bad. No, you worse than you think you are. you worse than you think you are. You've got enough sin in your life To send you to hell. Did you hear what I said? Can I just tell you the truth? I had enough sin in my life to send me to hell. And that's why the Bible tells the truth. It says, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Romans 6 23. And the wages for sin is death. And the death it's talking about is not just a physical death. Everybody dies physically. It's talking about eternal separation from the Father. It's talking about hell. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of what we deserve is to be eternally separated from God in hell. But it doesn't stop there. This is the good news of the gospel. It says, but the Gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It uses two terms. Once it uses the word wages, what we deserve. Wages is what you get at the end of the week. You work for it. You earned it. The Bible says we've worked for it. We've earned eternal separation from the from the Father. But then it turns around and uses the word gift, and you can't earn a gift. It's been given to you freely out of love from somebody. Amen? And when somebody gives you a gift, what is the thing you should do if someone gives you a gift? Thank you. Gratitude. Do you, if someone hands you a gift, do you wh- whip out your wallet and, uh, and try to pay for it? It's insulting. You can't pay for it. Somebody gave us a gift that we can't pay for, but it's the greatest gift you'll ever give, <laughs> you ever get, I mean. And that's the gift of eternal life. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life. And where is that eternal life found? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen and amen. And so as we come to a close this morning, at this point I'd like to give you a test. Ah, to see if you have committed the unforgivable sin. It's a real simple test. Anybody interested? This is how you know if you've committed the unforgivable sin. Are you ready? Go ahead and check your pulse. Is there a pulse still there? Take a deep breath. In through the nose, out through my Do it again. Listen to me. If you still have blood pumping through your veins, and oxygen flowing through your body is not too late for you. <laughs> At any point, you can repent of your sins and ask God to forgive you of your sins. First John 1:9. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. But that's only why you're here on this earth. If you continue to persist in your unbelief to the day you die, well, that's what a forgiving God finds totally unforgivable. For Him to give you all these chances to get right with Him, and you've managed to go through this entire life Rejecting the witness of the Holy Spirit, blasphemy in your life. And so if you're here today, under the sound of my voice, if if you've wronged anyone else in your life, ask for forgiveness. Matthew five twenty three. so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Pastor Rick, I've asked for forgiveness, but they won't forgive me. Just do your part. James five sixteen confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. If you're here today or listening to me online and you're feeling guilty or ashamed about something you've done, you need only to ask God to forgive you. And he'll forgive you. You need to go ask The other person to forgive you if you've done it to someone else, and then you need to take that very important step. You need to forgive yourself. Why should you hold on to something that God is not holding on to any longer? Amen. Be washed, be cleansed, put it behind you. And most of all, don't be a tool of the devil in someone else's life by constantly pointing the finger and shame basing them into a position. Well, well, that's what the enemy does. He's the accuser of the brethren who accuses them day and night. If you're going to point people, point them to Jesus and the forgiveness that he offers to his son. Amen? Point them to God and forgiveness he offers to his son. That's what I meant to say. Bear with each other and forgive one another. And if you have any grievance against someone, Colossians 3.13, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Have you committed the unpardonable sin only if you reject Christ to the day you die and the witness of the Holy Spirit? Again, that's what a forgiving God considers totally unforgivable. But as long as you're still here, you still have a chance to repent and trust God for your salvation. And I started this video with a left behind video. Listen, don't get left behind. Don't allow yourself to walk into eternity without the grace that God has offered through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you've not yet accepted Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, it would be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer of commitment to Him. So everyone bow our heads and close our eyes. And if that's your desire, Pastor Rick, I want Jesus in my life. Just lift up your hands. I want to recommit my life to Jesus. I see your hands. I see hands going up. Anyone else? I want Jesus in my life. I don't have to see your hand online. God sees your hand. Come into my life, Lord. Right now, say, Heavenly Father, come into my life. I thank you for the grace that you poured on me through your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord that I'm taking the opportunity to repent of my sins right now I ask you to come into my life to come into my heart fill me with your spirit with your power and with your love I forgive I ask your forgiveness Help me to forgive others, and I forgive myself. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all said, amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast, if you haven't already. And share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So, thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.